0: Man, Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio, this is episode 539, it's just me and Jason, and we're going to do a thing we haven't done before, we're going to take a movie apart. I mean, we've kind of done it here and there, but we've never really made a movie the basis for an episode, but there's good reason for this one. This is a little known film called Frequencies, by the way, there are other films with very similar, if not identical names, uh, that are much more mainstream, much more known, This particular film, most people will think it came out in 2014, but the truth is, it was actually released in 2013. It's a British film. The thing about this film is, there is a level of knowing built into it that you don't find in a lot of films. And it starts at the opening scene where a man named Theodore Adorno is implicated with the apple that is identical to the apple from the Apple logo. For those of us, to have followed along, Theodore Adorno was a musical savant. He was in the Frankfurt School, which is the predecessor to Tavistock. As we have covered as ad nauseum, the entirety of the British invasion is a Tavistock invention. Uh, to the language, you can go look up the words we didn't have before the British invasion. That was part of the spellcasting, words like teenager. There's a, a list of them I've forgotten point here is, is that Theodore Adorno was first outed, as far as I know, by a guy who was apparently an MI6 agent called, what the heck was his name, Jason? Dr. John Coleman. Yeah, Dr. John Coleman. Pretty sure that's true. It goes both ways, but I've recently read more things that say it's absolutely true. He outed Adorno in a very offhand way in a book called the committee of 300 so why would an MI6 agent be allowed to write such a thing to me it feels like revelation of method I mean why would someone be allowed to write all that whatever the case he did write it we can look backwards we can see that the majority of what he said has happened now to get back to Adorno as the movie opens um, there's an apple roll you don't know who rolls the apple at first but that's revealed later in the movie now, the way this is going to break down is Jason, as he always does, has, has listed out notes. I have 10 pages of handwritten notes, <laughs> so we're going to do the best we can to weld them together and try to put down a cogent breakdown of what's going on in this movie. But who the hell has ever heard of Theodora Adorno? I mean, really, in the average walk of life, if you go meet 50 people and ask them, have you heard of Theodora Adorno? I'm guessing the majority are going to say who. And so why would someone write it into a movie and then associate it with the Beatles logo? But here's the gist of what's going on in my view. Prior to the mid-50s in this country, there were hundreds of thousands of musicians that made a living. There were circuits all over this country in every major metropolis and around every major metropolis. Every roller rink, cocktail lounge, you know, anything, dinner place, everybody had live music. So many places had live music and all these musicians playing almost any instrument you can think of to include all the orchestral instruments made a living that started to change in the mid fifties when rock and roll showed up. Now, you will notice in early rock and roll, they're all wearing their uniforms, so they all look the same. That's a throwover from what we see in the big bands, right? A big band is playing somewhere, and they all have their blazer jacket that matches. Anyhow, by the time the 60s get here, the ability for these people to make a living as skilled musicians, and they were skilled musicians. We're talking about individuals who had a sound grasp of music theory. Could read? You had to read music. Because you might show up at a place and they'll say, This is what we're playing tonight, and throw you the sheep music. That was the level of musicality that rock and roll replaced. Look now, look where we are now, so I can make my point. What was done is places like Tavistock used music because the entire world listens to music. And in a higher minded era where there is complex orchestral music, Things like Mozart, Bach, and Beethoven, by the way, Mozart will play prominently in the movie we're about to break down, in a big deal way, by the way. They knew that if they took that higher-minded music and began to lower it and lower it and lower it, human consciousness would go with it. It's a bit like bread and circus, you know, watching sports. If you haven't figured out that sports is a rigged put-up, I don't know what to tell you. Do you think the NBA allows it to play out any which way it will? No, they know damn well if this team and this team aren't in the playoffs, no one's going to watch. It is all rigged. That's a fact, whether you want to accept it or not. Now, for the music, we have reached a point now, they have lowered it so much that a very talented musician who's about my age named Rick Beato on YouTube, who is like one of the few people I ever take time in a month to go check out because of his musical skill level, which is astounding, by the way, perfect pitch, pick up, listen to a song and play it and break it down and explain the music theory behind it. He will show you that the top 10 songs off Spotify right now, some of the melodies have two notes. There are no musical changes. Many of them have no melody, no harmony. This is where we've come to. And this was by design. And the reason was to lower human consciousness. And the reason for lowering human consciousness is look around. Someone's trying to take over the world right now. And if you lower human consciousness, I guess their plan is that it, that becomes a little easier. Anyhow, there's my big mouthful, Jason. Do you want to add anything before we jump into this?
1: Well, I do really like Rick Beato, but he just doesn't seem to be very conspiratorially minded. To figure
0: out what the hell is going on. Not at all. He loves music. He loves the Beatles. He went to Abbey Road, whatever. We all choose our path. If that's what makes a talented man like that happy, I'm not going to fault him. I remember how miserable I was for a long time when I had to face the fact that the music that was a big part of my life was a put up. I had a miserable time for like years. And then when I thought I was by it, it would crop up again. So I'm not faulting anyone. If you want to love the music, that's your choice. Absolutely your choice. And by the way, if I had the talent that that man has with perfect pitch and to hear something and instantly know the scale and the music theory behind it, maybe that's what I would concentrate on. I don't know. But in my opening notes, I wrote, number one, music can be used to lower consciousness. Number two, the flu is electromagnetic or frequency based by the way. There is ideas that Wi-Fi and frequency will be used in a negative way against populations. Whatever that means, however much that is true, maybe we should be aware of it. Number three, Adorno was used to engineer the Beatles' Apple record and to lower vibrational conscious by inserting spell and keywords and basically slowly morphing the music into something other than what it used to be. And then lastly, this movie rightly shows that vibrational levels can be manipulated. One of the premises in the movie is that you're born with the vibration you have and it's not possible to change it. That is later shown to be wrong. There we go, Jason.
1: So the story of the film Frequencies takes place in an alternate reality that is, for the most part, the same as our own in the modern time. The movie opens showing children at a school all standing in line with each one holding a green apple. The green apples are of the variety known as Granny Smith, the same kind that is the logo of the Beatles record label, Apple Records. One of these apples is rolled to the feet of a little girl, who we are told is named Marie Curie Fortune. She picks up the apple, staring with odd fascination at it. She turns around, affects a big smile in the direction that the apple had come from, and turns back the way she was, with her smile dropping mechanically.
0: All right. The apple was rolled by a little boy. By the way, we should say all the characters, or at least the children, uh, are named after scientists. And the scientists they're named after, they are named after for a reason. This little girl has the highest known frequency, which is measured shortly into the movie. 127 or something people comment i didn't think it could be above 100 what that basically is supposed to mean in their world is that nature will work endlessly to give her what she needs and wants to the point where when she walks across a freeway she doesn't even have to look out for the cars because the cars look out for her okay about the name marie curie is a put up we've demonstrated it people like um who am I searching for? Who's the man who did the best breakdown? Hoaxbuster. Hoaxbuster Hoax Buster has done one of the premier breakdowns of why Marie Curie is a fraud. She was invented so they could invent the idea of radioactive nonsense. The last name Fortune, I'm not going to touch right now. Now, what's going on here is Theodore Adorno Strauss. So they're not pulling punches here. They're associating Theodore Adorno with the Beatles logo. And then they're adding a musical name, Strauss, to let you know that they're not pulling punches here. He rolls the apple. That's all you need to know for now.
1: We are next shown the children taking some sort of paper test while blindfolded. After, they are told not to open the test results, but to give them to their parents. The names of several of the children are read off to receive their test results. Albert Einstein Cole, Nikola Tesla Hertz, Marie Curie Fortune, who thanks the teacher almost robotically, with the teacher looking at her uncomfortably. And the last student called
0: is Theodore Adorno Strauss. Now we're getting into the other names, why they were chosen and why it matters. But the boy, the main character here is an exceptionally low vibration. He's a negative seven. It's very rare and they are considered outcasts in society, as a matter of fact, they have to be kept away from high-frequency people or bad things will happen to them, not to the high-frequency person, to them. Now, his last name is Midgley. If you look up the scientist he was named after, he is an infamous guy that worked for, I think, the car companies who made things that were just horrible for the environment. Theodor Adorno Strauss is named Strauss to let you know that, yeah, this is the Theodor Adorno that jacked up the British invasion music to start messing with our minds. But the Strauss moniker also shows that his family is in the music business, which becomes a very big deal later on.
1: The children are next shown sharing their test results with each other. The tests are a measure of their frequency or how lucky they are. Marie says that hers is 127, but the test is only supposed to go up to 100. Nikola Tesla Hertz says that hers is 67, but she is relieved because it could have been so much lower. One of the students brings over another, who is introduced as Isaac Newton Midgley, who goes by Zach. It is stated that Zach's frequency is a negative 7. Very unlucky. The children seem to be making a game of a super high frequency person being in the direct vicinity of a very low frequency person. Marie is wearing a pocket watch around her neck, which she checks. Around a few moments, the children start expecting some sort of reaction. It starts to rain, but it only rains on Zach. A teacher comes to fetch Zach, who is told that his mother is waiting. The children ask Marie how long it took for the reaction to occur
0: to which she responds, exactly one minute. 60 seconds, one circle. Now, the little low-frequency boy who is the main character, there are two main characters. The high-frequency girl, who is Marie Curie, Fortune, and the very she is the highest-frequency character, maybe ever known. And the low-frequency boy, who's a negative seven, Isaac Newton Midgley. His last name, as I told you, is after an infamous guy who did horrible things which are not remembered well. The front part of his name is Isaac Newton. That further ties him to the apple. Isn't it Isaac Newton that gets bonked on the head in our mythology? But the other thing about Isaac Newton is he was actually an alchemist. And in that, this character will, in fact, do a form of alchemy that upsets the entirety of of how the world works, and that will become a problem.
1: Next, we see Marie at home with her father. Her father greets her, which she responds to, but again, very robotically. She gives him the test results. Upon reading them, he's incredibly delighted, asking her if she knows what this means and how it will change her life. He asks her if she realizes this, to which she responds that she does. He then asks her how she feels, to which she replies with a mock impersonation of Nicola's earlier response.
0: Her father seems troubled at this. Remember when I told you that the so-called powers that be in this world have activated their pineal glands and they're at a higher consciousness level? To me, that's what's being shown here. This girl is off the scales, highest frequency that a human being can be, maybe the highest ever measured or certainly among the highest ever measured. Literally, when she goes out, she knows that every person, every mechanical thing, every aspect of nature will work to give her what she wants or needs. Now, here's the trade to have that good fortune. Her empathy is gone. She even says things like, I'm not connected to myself. Every time you see me laugh, smile, it's an act. I do not love my family. There is no empathy in this higher vibrational reality. And that's an important point when you begin to look at what's going on. How many times have you seen some ridiculously horrid thing done? Even like chemtrails, who the hell does this? Who sprays heavy metals into the air? That not just we have to breathe and use, but all the trees and the animals. Who does that? My idea would be that probably a person without much empathy does a thing like that. But let's move along.
1: In the next scene, we are shown a wooden plaque on the wall with a slogan, one that we will see throughout the entire film. And that slogan is, knowledge determines destiny. This cuts to Marie's parents discussing Marie's test score with the person who appears to be a teacher at the school, Miss Anderson. She is asked about Marie's extreme lack of emotions, with the camera cutting to Marie standing outside, staring emotionlessly into space. Miss Anderson responds that it is a common side effect that the higher the frequency, the lower the empathy. The statement regarding this is that the luckier the person, the less they care about it. Marie's test result seems to indicate that she is the luckiest of them all. Marie's mother expresses that she wants her daughter to have a normal life, but she is told that that won't be at all possible.
0: This is a big deal, what's being the subtext. Now, remember what I just said about the them, you know, the the secret controllers that we sound ridiculous when we talk about? They have no empathy. Must be. To see some of the things we see, that must be. Because a person who had compassion would not act in these ways. Now let's go to another part of the world where we know people have raised their vibrational level. Let's go to a place like India, or how about Tibet, where there were entire societies set towards meditation, activating the third eye, uh, seeking enlightenment, and and upping the vibration to astonishing degrees, by the way, people doing things that are almost magical recorded through all periods of time. But here's the difference. They are at a very high vibrational level, but they have compassion. Compassion is built into the training. The reason, you know, the reason for what they're doing, compassion is built into it. It's almost like at the high vibrational level, There's a coin, and one side is tails, no empathy, and the other side is heads, high compassion, if you see where I'm going here. It's almost like a choice, I would estimate.
1: A few years seems to have passed, and we are shown a science fair at the school. Miss Anderson stops by Marie's Space, who shows her her project. It is a way to detect a person's specific frequency by reading the direct waveform. She claims that it is much more efficient than the old-school test. She is asked about having a patent for it, and Marie responds that she does. She also says that she can cross-reference men and women with compatible resonance, and that this is how nature determines true love. Her father wants to put the machine on the market because, apparently, people are obsessed with finding true love. There is a recurring mention
0: of All data is useful. There are these kind of hints that this is a society. It looks like a pleasant place, but in actuality, it's one, it's a police state after a fact. If you do what you're supposed to, it seems like a beautiful little place to live. If you don't, Things start happening, but there's a bureau for everything, a police bureau, a telephone bureau, and there are two statements that recur over and over and over. All data is useful, and then there's the one that says knowledge determines destiny. The When they show you a plaque on the wall more than once that says that at the bottom, they use a camera to pull focus trick where you can only read one word at a time because the camera is pulling focus. So the next word comes into focus and the word behind it goes out of focus. And there's a little double entendre going on there. You can only see, in other words, you can only see one of the words at a time. If you don't pay attention through the whole thing, you have no idea what it says. But these are the mantras that are hammered into this society. And in this society... The only thing that matters is science. And isn't it interesting that someone who has the metaphysical, higher vibrational level who are, is going to have things which are not scientific, like luck, that's undeniable, it's all still pulled into a very rigid, materialistic point of view, like our world, kind of.
1: Next, we see what is called Experiment One. Zach is meeting Marie. Marie but he apologizes for being late as he was locked in a corridor. Marie finds this interesting and checks the watch that she wears around her neck. Multiple students are watching their interaction together, anticipating some sort of reaction to occur. At the one-minute mark, a jet flies overhead, with numerous pieces of luggage falling from it, almost landing on Zach. The headmaster of the school comes out screaming about detention, separately, of course. But Miss Anderson states that they have used their one minute for this year, and they couldn't get them together again if they tried. Marie is questioned by Miss Anderson about why she did it. She tells Marie not to waste feelings on this boy because the two of them are just not destined to be together. In this alternate reality, there is extreme prejudice against those with low frequency.
0: There's a couple things going on as we go through the tests that the two children do together. What you need to know is in the movie, you are told low-frequency repels, high-frequency attracts. But the whole premise of what this society is built on is being proven false by the simple fact that these children have been drawn together. Think about it. Their premise is that Zach repels and that Marie attracts, and yet... They are constantly back together, even after the statement where they are so polarly opposite that they have already spent a minute together and bad things happened. They couldn't possibly put the children together for the rest of this year. And this is where the holes in the materialistic science-based driving premise of this culture begins to see through. We will not begin to realize the massive holes in this society, which is mirroring our own, until we get to the musical family with the last surname Strauss. Go ahead, Jason.
1: We jump forward another year, and it is Marie's experiment two. Marie asks Zach how he is doing, and he says not so good, really. She asks him to be more specific for her research. He says that he feels tense, nervous, breathless, and sweaty. Zach doesn't look well, and he passes out. She makes notations in her notebook.
0: In her notebook is the Masonic checkered board. That's the notebook that she constantly uses. But in this scene, a massive confirmation has been handed everybody. Nobody's going to notice it. I refer you back to the first episode we did with Dr. Frank Olina, where he informed us that a better way to describe what we call the flu is electromagnetic vampirism. And here we have it played out in a demonstrative way, where the high-frequency girl is perfectly fine. The low-frequency boy has the flu so bad that he passes out.
1: Jumping ahead now to experiment three, and Marie is adjusting her clothing while waiting for Zach. Zach has the idea that they should touch as part of the data collection, but Marie says she can't because it changes the variables. There is obvious romantic tension at this point, but multiple dogs start barking. Zach says that he has to ask Marie something, but he runs off
0: and she calls after him. He has to run because he hears the dogs coming and he knows he's not safe. But again, the premise of this entire society is undermined by the fact that they are continually, every chance they get, drawn back together. First of all, I would point out that Marie's high, high, high vibration is only going to allow proximity in her life of things she wants or needs. And yet she has no empathy, and yet, for some reason, she is continually drawn to Zach, all cut to the chase. The reason is, is because Zach has something she wants, which will become evident later.
1: Now up to experiment four, and they meet again. Zach asks Marie to go to graduation with him, which isn't until next year. He makes it clear that it's a date, a one-minute date. There is romantic tension between them once again. And she says yes. At this point, smoke is coming from under the door they are standing near, and the school fire alarm goes off. He says that they should
0: touch then as well, and for her to think about it. Let's go ahead and knock out experiment five just to get beyond.
1: We are on to their final year at school and experiment five. Maria is wearing a white dress and holding a bouquet of purple flowers in front of her. Zach then approaches. Marie asks where Zach would like to touch her, and he smiles and says everywhere, and she smiles as well. Zach says that he knows that they can't be together, but tells her that he loves her anyway. He says that she probably doesn't love him, and she says that she does not. Their meetings have only been about data collection. She says that she has also been experimenting with flirting, and now she has stopped He asks her if she really doesn't care about him, and she tells him that he doesn't understand. She doesn't feel. No one wants to understand that. She says that she knows the people call her the machine and that they are right. She says that she doesn't love her family and that she experiences no joy. If she ever smiles, frowns, laughs, or cries, she is pretending and waiting for it to become real, but it never will. She tells Zach that it's just the side effect and that the two of them are just not destined to be together. Zach looks devastated and says that it's been one minute and that he is leaving right on time. Zach walks off and Marie smiles really largely twice, then once
0: not quite as big. because She's again showing that she absolutely has no emotion, empathy. She's disconnected from her emotional self. But... Marie is wearing white and she always has her little Masonic checkerboard decorated notepad. Uh, Zach shows up in black and red, which is often associated as Masonic colors. It shows up in other places like the guard for Buckingham palace or whatever. But to me, this just means that the secrets, the ancient secrets that these folks purport to have, which I don't think they have in their entirety. I think they have pieces and parts. It's a manipulation and this is what's being shown. What's interesting about, the fifth and final experiment they have as children, nothing happens. Zach does the full minute and he walks off. It's almost as if the world is confirming that Marie needs Zach, which is contrary to what this world thinks is true. Low vibration doesn't go with high vibration. We
1: jump forward in time to Marie now being a young adult and she is walking to the train station. When she gets on her train, she sees that there are no open seats. As she is looking at the seats, a young man looks up at her, seems to be frightened, then gets up and leaves the train in a hurry. Marie takes the now vacant seat. Back on the street, Marie finds a 20-pound note on the ground, which she picks up. She stops at a shop to pick up an order, which wasn't supposed to be in for another week, but had actually just arrived, and it costs exactly 20 pounds. What's being
0: shown here is an aspect of reality that we don't think about a lot. This whole scene is designed to show how everything is lining up for Marie. It will always come up roses. I will remind you again that she is named after a made-up person. Whether or not there was ever a person named Marie Curie in the world matters not. The entirety of the story, the entirety of her husband's story is a put-up so they could invent the foundation for the nonsensical story they would tell about nuclear weapons later, which is still paying dividends to this day. By the way, the boy that jumps off the train is basically a version of Zach. He's afraid for his well-being. He realizes the moment he sees her, she's high vibrational, and he gets the hell off that train to get away from her. Maria's next
1: shown at home counting out pills from a mason jar. The doorbell rings, and her friends and family are there for a surprise birthday for her. Later on that night during the party, a now-adult Zach approaches her and says hello. They have small talk, but the conversation comes to the fact that Marie is still the machine. Marie asks why he is there, and he responds to continue the experiment. He points out that a minute has transpired, and that things have changed for him, even if they haven't for her, and for her to meet him tomorrow at the train shop. A few moments after Zach departs, a planter falls onto the spot where he had been.
0: A couple things. I'll let people put together why the train idea is big. And by the word, you know, the words have meaning. That's part of it. You can train somebody, right? The point I'm going to make here is this is years later. They were children. Last time Zach showed up in the red and black, He shows up in red and black again. This time took me a while to consider what was going on with Marie taking the pills. Why would she be taking pills? She's the luckiest person in the world. I think what's going on there is they were trying to give her pills to give her emotion. I think that's what's actually going on. The reason I think that is because nature pulls Zach back into her life because she wants nothing more than to have emotions. That is what she wants. And that is why nature keeps bringing Zach back into her vicinity, even though it could cost Zach his life, basically.
1: The next day they meet, Marie had just checked her watch as Zach sits down, putting his mobile phone next to him. Marie asks if he is expecting a call, and Zach answers that yes, he is. Marie seems a bit confused and asks how Zach lasted more than a minute. Zach tells Marie that he changed his frequency. Marie is bluntly surprised that Zach, a low frequency, was able to come up with a method of changing a person's frequency. Zach tells Marie that what they know about frequency is wrong, otherwise they would never have met. Zach tells Marie that he can help her to lower her frequency. He says that they need to touch and stay close by one another. This means that she will have feelings for the first time in her life. They hold hands, and after a few moments, there does appear to be a reaction. Marie says that she is not feeling very well and looks around, a bit confused. The color scheme of the film changes to a much warmer tone than it had been, representing Marie's point of view. She now has feelings and says that she feels a great weight and feels connected to herself. The back door to the cabin they are sitting in flies open. A glass is then heard breaking. Zach says that it appears that nature is rebelling. The table starts to shake, and Marie tells Zach to kiss her. For the first time, they do.
0: There's a lot going on in this scene that you're not aware of that will be made clear later in the film that basically spells are being used, audio spells, the human voice. This will be explained later. At the moment that she leaves her complete, compassionless, empathy-free life, The world takes on a more normal look. The whole appearance of the film changes. In other words, the entirety of her reality has changed almost in a way like she had all the luck in the world, but she could only experience 50% of nature. There was a wall, a brick wall in nature that her experience, the way things appeared, how she felt, she was completely separated from it. And again, they make a lot of a high vibration person being empathy free and all the people who do have empathy feel sorry for them. They want them like her parents want her to be able to fall in love. This is not possible. And I'll ask you, does that sound like anything we see going on in our world by people who run things for that matter? Who would ever truly want to become a general in a military? Think about it. Think about what a general in a military does. We can't because of Hollywood. We think, oh, he's got power. He does all these cool things. No, well, basically, what he is in charge of is killing. At the foundational reason for their existence, it's to fight, it's to kill. Could you, a human being that exists as you exist today, take that role and give orders that you know unequivocally? is going to mean the death of people. Could you do it? Just to make the point.
1: We jump back in time to the opening scene, this time focusing on the young Zach. He retrieves the rolled apple and obviously likes Marie right from the beginning. Next, we see Zach's mother meeting with Miss Anderson, who suggests that Zach be placed in a special school to help deal with his lack of potential due to his abnormally low frequency. Miss Anderson says that since Zach's score is in the negative numbers, he is literally out of sync with the natural world. He will be beyond unlucky. In fact, he will never be at the right place at the right time, and that he will never fit in. Zach has been watching Marie outside the window, who is standing with a blank expression. Miss Anderson says that he doesn't belong at that school, which we now find out is for highly intelligent children. Zach is a genius, just like the other students, but Miss Anderson says that he is surrounded by prodigies. Zach is asked if he really wants to be there. He looks at Marie out the window again and says that yes, he does. We cut to a classroom where Zach is seated, watching Marie through a window while she is in another classroom. She then looks blankly at him.
0: There are a few things that I should have mentioned it before we left last scene. If you pay attention to the audio track, there's like a Tibetan singing bowl almost every time Zach and Marie come together, proving the frequency idea. When they sit down in the train shop in the previous scene, uh, she's wearing an earring that has like a cymatic design on it, but this is not the most important of scenes. He's just basically stating that he doesn't want to go to a special school. The reason he's treated as if he was mentally deficient is simply because his vibrational level is low. And he is a genius. Absolutely a genius.
1: We are now at Theodore adorno Strauss's house with Zach ringing the doorbell. Theo's father answers the door and brings him inside. They walk into a room with a baby grand piano with music composition papers scattered around everywhere. They sit at the piano, and Theo's father asks Zach if he plays. Zach answers that people like him have a problem with rhythm. Theo's father says that everybody can play something. You just need heart, soul, and a little imagination. Zach is told to play any three notes for any length in any order. Theo's father plays full chords of those full notes, then looks back to Zach they begin going back and forth, with Zach playing what seems to be chaotic nonsense. However, Theo's father is able to make a beautiful melody from it each time. They then start playing together, with Zach contributing notes that somehow fit with the melodies being played. It is during this exchange that we find out that Zach's high intellect allows him to see patterns.
0: Also, uh, this is Theodor Adorno Strauss's father we're talking about here. He is from an ancient family. This ancient family is musically based. And I'll cut to the chase right now. What they know is the secret. They know the secret of how to prevent control being taken by one group of people. We'll explain this a little more fully later, but this is a critical scene because Theodore Adorno's father, who is a nice, decent, compassionate, highly intelligent, musically invested man, tells Zach a very important thing, which backs up a thing I say all the time. He tells Zach, observation of nature is the authority. That's another way we could say that. There is no lie in nature.
1: There's something that goes on in this scene that we don't realize as viewers of the film, at least the first time through while this was going on zach's frequency was being leveled out which was why he was able to start playing along with
0: him right uh we can't we, we could cut to the chase music is going to be the underlying importance which is going to back up what i said in the beginning of how in our real world the one you and i are living in right now uh consciousness in part was lowered through the manipulation of popular music and you know most people can't buy that but let me try to Let me try to reframe that. You ever notice, I used to do it a lot more. In my episode image, I take a line out of a song, partially because the line fit whatever the image was saying, or maybe what the episode was about. And I was doing that double entendre. But the real reason I did it was, how is it that I can randomly pull a line and everybody out there knows it? You see a problem with that? Shouldn't a world of millions of people have millions of unique experiences? We've gotten so used to systems that it is completely normal that the majority of us could tell me right now, I'll give you a line to a song and the majority of you listening will be able to tell me what song it is. And that shows the power of the program. A long, long time ago, you folks know what song that's from? I'm guessing... The majority of you do. If I sung a little bit more, you absolutely would. This is the power of this medium we call music to program. Now, when it's aberrated, which is what's happened to us, down to the lowest of low, most rap and popular music now, which is just another step of what rock was. I'm not singling out anything. I'm saying they're all steps on the same staircase going down. The repetition had to be put into it. Remember Blues Traveler, the guy, the big heavy guy, John Popper, who played the harmonica so beautifully, he wrote a song called Hook, which is all about what I'm talking about. We won't publish your song unless there's a hook. It's got to have a hook. By the way, there's got to be a repetitive chorus that goes over and over and a repetitive bridge that goes over and over. Compare this to a concerto. Compare this to classical music. The complexity is not in the same building. It's not even in the same state, for crying out loud. And when we leave rock and roll and we start getting into hair rock and roll, it becomes something else, like a carbon copy of itself. And it keeps going until we get into the 90s area, where we do punk rock. A version of punk rock is brought up over again. A little more sophisticated, maybe. And in the background, there's other kinds of music coming, like rap and hip-hop and All these genres of that form of music, which is designed by the very same people that designed the rock and roll. Same plan going on to lower human consciousness. Recently, I learned that the very same interests that own rap recording and distribution apparently have a huge stake in prisons. How's that possible? Do you see what's going on? How the music is publishing? ideas and mindsets that help keep the presence full, it singles out. How can we say things like Black Lives Matter when segments are being singled out, unabashedly singled out and treated in a different way than the majority? And yet we're we're fine with it. We just act like this is just the way things are. The whole point I'm trying to make is to see what's happened with music. You really have to detach yourself and go a thousand miles up and look back down and forget what you love, what you like, what you grew up with, the accusation of this music is worse than all that out the window. Point is, is if I say this to you right now, everybody knows it because everyone's heard the same thing and she's buying a stairway to heaven. Think about it. Anyhow.
1: Well, bye-bye, Miss American Pie.
0: Took my Chevy, the levee, the levee was dry, and the three men that I admire most And by the way, the entirety of that song, which was the first reference I made that everyone immediately recognized, because we've all heard the same thing for 30 years, 40 years, is everything in that song is pointing to the underhanded, one-sided, controlled nature of music the day the music died. Hint, hint, hint.
1: Next, we see young Zach and young Theo discussing the very low and very high frequencies of Zach and Marie. Theo is making a visual demonstration of this on a chalkboard, and Zach sees a pattern.
0: O-X-V. All right. I'll let everyone... Do you see what's being buried there? What's the name of this movie? Frequencies. When they're in the train station, I kind of hinted that he's using his voice to cast spells, or what's the equivalent of a spell. It's really not. It's science. But we would consider it spells. O-X-V. See what's going on there? It's just the shuffling of the Latin word vox, which means voice, which is the key to this ancient art, alchemical art that Zach has rediscovered and which is going to cause quite a bit of trouble.
1: We jump back to the science fair, and Zach is being dressed down by Miss Anderson for not being ready. Her dislike and utter contempt for him is readily apparent. Miss Anderson moves on to Theo's project. Zach sees Marie and is awestruck with her as usual, and she smiles and waves to him. Theo's experiment is about predictions. Miss Anderson does not accept this, but then events do
0: unfold, for the most part, as Theo stated they would. Basically, the experiment that Miss Anderson dismisses and shows her one-sided nature treats Zach like crap, even though she knows the poor kid has low vibrational. He suffers in his life, always being in trouble, off time, bad things happening to him. She treats him horribly and then puts her stern authority towards Theodore Adorno, who is about a thousand times more intelligent than she is. And she dresses him down for this little so-called experiment. The problem is the experiment works. We jump ahead to
1: just before all of the experiments with Theo helping Zach right before he meets Marie each time. The first thing he gives him is a magnet. The second, a pill. The third, purple lotion. Then we see the
0: last, with Miss Anderson walking by too close. All right, there's a couple of things that we actually, we skipped the part where the implication of Theodora Dorno's test with Miss Anderson is that we are all complex machines with no soul or free will. That's what Miss Anderson says to Theodora's Dorno. He looks at her and says is that a problem? Now this is lack of empathy with a bit of malice. That's Theodora Dorno. It's one thing to be Marie at her lofty level and we're never quite we're told later where Theodor Adorno's um, vibration level is, but it's said in a way that leaves you not sure. It's average times a thousand. In other words, I think what's shifted in is that actually Theodor Adorno is above everybody around. I think that's what's being intimated. But basically, the teacher realizes that the prediction, that the machine, that the, the experiment he's doing will prove that we are all complex machines without a soul or free will. And when she says that to him, his response is, so is that a problem? Uh, The information takes us where we go. You know, we're, we're all doing science here. So what was going on was
1: Theodore Adorno has been figuring out the equation of their universe, of the universe that this story takes place in. He hadn't quite got it worked out yet, which is why he was a little inaccurate when he's showing Miss Anderson, but he's getting there. And throughout the film, we find out he's been working on it. And by the end of the film,
0: well, he figures it out. Well, I would, I would, I guess I would add it this he's not discovering anything. He's rediscovering an ancient alchemical truth about nature that continually gets discovered over and over. And it does terrible things like creates kings and queens. That's how we, it'll come up later in the film. The reason we had kings and queens in this telling is because they discovered this secret. They call it the manual. So Theodora Adorno has rediscovered this ancient thing. Now let's pull it forward to the Theodorno of the Tavistock Institute creating music for the Beatles. Do you see the writing on the wall here. Do you see the underline? Just let, let's keep going, Jason.
1: Moving back up to the young adult Zach and he is giving a presentation to acquire a research grant for scientific study of the frequencies. He is calling them ironic particles. Once again, he has seen a pattern and wants to investigate it.
0: This is also a very, very buried hint. The word ironic has iron in it, and this is going to echo back to the alchemical principles uh you could take this all the way back to the hermetic the seven hermetic laws which underpin this universe the first three of those laws are absolutely immutable the last at a certain level can be adjusted or bent or maybe shuffled around a little bit but the irony particle and irony in general only applies to the low vibrational people like zach is but Should we cut our one here, Jason?
1: Yeah, this is probably a good place to do it, actually, because now we're going to start getting into the more adult aspects of the film. We're pretty much done with their childhood until the end.
0: The problem with trying to review a movie like this is how do you do it? Jason was a little worried that doing the verbatim break isn't the best way to do it, but it's kind of needed. Uh, Otherwise, we would have had a discussion that is hard to tie to anything. Although a lot of people have seen it, but this look if you're ahead of the curve it's often hard to communicate things to people and if you are ahead of the curve you risk that you're wrong i could be wrong right now i i never let that leave my mind i am pretty darn reasonably sure i'm not as a matter of fact i am not a betting person i would bet on this all day what's happened here and is echoed in this movie is the foundationals of the underpinning of this universe, which everything that exists vibrates. Go to the seven hermetic principles that underpin existence. It's there. It's in this movie. The movie is actually named. The characters who have recently programmed our world to queue up the world takeover that they're making a run at now, which, by the way, will not work in the long run. In the short run, it may be miserable. It's undeniable. It's there, but it is all so cleverly put together and so plausibly deniable that it is beyond easy for someone to come up and say, Crow's an idiot. He's just making stuff up. And I accept that. They can say that. And they are not wrong. It is absolutely plausibly deniable. But at a certain level, it is what it is. And the people who catch on to seeing it in the way that I'm trying to lay out hopefully, will grasp the reason I think it's important. The underpinning of the whole reason for doing this is not just how people interact, what makes this place work, what the truth of the reality is. They explained how power became power in this mythic storyline. They described the differences in people, why they're lucky, why they're not. But they wrapped into it the critical takeover of music in our world, which Almost everybody is exposed to, and they used it as a method to warp minds, to lower minds, to prepare minds, like Michael Hoffman says in that GIF at the top of every newsletter. Anything you want to add, Jason, before we prep up for hour two?
1: We didn't really talk about the film in general at all. And I do want to tell people that I really liked this film. I thought it was a very good story, I thought it was very cleverly written and very well directed and edited and all that for being a uh, like an independent kind of film that I'm assuming didn't have a particularly large budget and didn't have any big actors or anything like that in it. It's really good. I've watched it twice, and
0: I really enjoyed it. It was one of my favorite films of all time not too long ago, and that was before I realized everything that I realized in the modern era. I'd seen it twice before, I don't know, a week or two ago when I stumbled across it again. It is a cleverly, cleverly written film. It does not rely on violence and CG, but what's more is it is so smart and it's outing some of the biggest things that have happened to us. Who in the hell's ever going to use Theodore Adorno as a character? Nobody knows who that is. And then put an apple in their hand. And some of the subtleties here, we haven't even taken the time. When they show the apples, the girls are holding them all in their left hand. The boys are holding them all in their right hand. Anyhow, we better take a break here, Jason. I'm going to wrap up hour one. So that's hour one of episode 539, breaking down the 2013 film, 2014 released in the United States, called Frequencies. In hour two, we unveil all the hidden plots, which matter. And it's a pretty astonishing bit of writing. Our one is free to everybody at protriple7radio.com. That crrow seven seven C-R-R-O-W-7777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They get access to all the forums, to comments under every episode, and free access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon that now has 10 awards, covers all my telescope work, lunar waves, sun you don't see, and all that. With that, we're going to prep up, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. I hope to see you logged in as a member for hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.